host Steve Cooper and remember I'm only as hip as my guests and I have to tell you the uh, the lovely Joanne comes back tonight and it was weird I mean she's going out she had a speaking engagement back east and she's actually going back in 10 days to uh, celebrate her mom's 70th birthday party but it was weird you know she's moved in at the end of October it was weird having my place back to myself and and I noticed that I do miss her because I am a slob I have like five pairs of shoes laying down she's only gone for like three days but yeah like five pairs of shoes a pair of flip flops downstairs and what she does which amazes me is and I don't know how she does it every time I like take my shoes off before I turn my head she's taking them, putting them upstairs in the closet, and I never see her do it. She's like a true ninja. And then I actually, I was bad, because you know, I gotta watch the diet because of my heart. So I was bad though. I had a few cocktails the other night and I got a pizza, which let me tell you something, if you haven't eaten pizza in about a year, it really hits you. Oh my God, I was sitting there, I woke up, my stomach was gurgling, it was awful. And I'll probably do it when she's out of town because that's the only time I really can get drunk <laughs> and watch TV because I don't get drunk around her. Anyway, enough about that. We have a great guest and uh, I'm glad to have her on. We, she wasn't going to be able to make it, so you can hear she's feeling under the weather. So today, sorry people to tell you this, but you're going to hear a lot more of me talking. Okay, I'm going to be, I won't, I won't do, I won't be too bad, but I'm giving her like, I'm cutting her down to like, she's like 25 minutes allowed to talk. So you're going to hear 35 <laughs> minutes of me. So this is going to be like the best of Cooper talk without my guests talking. But we have a great guest. We have Annabelle Garbage. How you doing, Annabelle? Oh, thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's so funny. I love that line that you said about, uh, uh, you're only as hip as your guests. Okay. It just brought me back to the show that I did with Colin Quinn. It was one of my first jobs on TV when I moved to California was, uh, I got this job called, uh, it was, it was, the show it was like a, a comedy variety show called Too Hip for TV. Okay. And it, it starred, if you could say starred, we were sort of the hosts, Colin Quinn and me and uh, Amit Zappa. And it was shot, we were shooting it in a bowling alley in in some big suburb in, in Los Angeles and um, I was really excited because it was one of my first jobs oh, yeah, in it's Los TV. Angeles TV oh my god well too hip for TV it was really not hip enough to be broadcast it didn't last very long <laughs> but it was really fun actually working with Colin who was amazing working was my first experience with the Zappa family Moon and I are friends and I've worked with, with uh, I think I've worked with Dweezil I, work, I, I know them all they're all fantastic but it was really exciting you know being with them and doing that but the thing was it was shot in a bowling alley that's awesome and, but but here's the it was a really low budget show so they couldn't you know rent the whole bowling alley out so there was actual bowling taking place the whole time and they were like we'll just go with that sound so I would go to sleep at night and I would still hear the pins crashing and I started to develop a twitch and every time I hear bowling pins crash I my eye just twitches because it, it r brings me right back to that show and the non-stop because you know you're shooting a TV show let's say the show was maybe it was like a half an hour long you know you're shooting and we, we shot back to back you know called gang shooting right so right. shooting back to back it was on once a week I don't even I don't even remember what network it was on but uh, it was uh, you know <clears throat> you're shooting it for so you know 10 hours a day bowling pins because Going, going is like oh my and god! And it's weird you say I, that. I don't bowl. You see, and it's weird about the pins how it sticks with you. And I noticed this the other night, and we we solved the situation. I live in Burbank. I live right down the street from the studio, and I never really noticed it because I I don't know. I maybe didn't sleep with the, with the upstairs window open, but trains every night. There's trains, and and some some weird reason in L.A. 
birds. Like I grew up back east, and I know you grew up down in Alabama. You grew down south, and then you moved to Florida. Alabama, Florida, moved on. Yeah. But back mm-hmm. east, mm-hmm. was it me or birds were out in the day? Here, it's like the trains are going, and I'm like, first of all, I'm six blocks i don't know from the train track i never hear the horns during the day but at night for some reason there's no one on the tracks i tell you why all right so first of all i actually wrote about this in my my new book which just comes out uh on uh on march 6th it's uh i see you made an effort and i write which is a great book people by the way thank you i write about i started a meditation practice and i never knew that you could hear the freeway from my house until i started meditating because i just wasn't quiet enough in my own head to realize oh my god you can hear the freeway from my own house but the reason why we of course i mean it makes sense the reason why we hear those sounds at night is because there's a little bit less traffic and so suddenly you can actually hear those things like the birds whereas during the day you got cars I mean so I mean that you know it's like it's like a cliche to talk about traffic in Los Angeles but it really is that bad people oh, you know it, it's, it, because you can't talk to someone in Atlanta about it because traffic there is that bad I mean well, this I, is I grew up 10 minutes thing. from Philadelphia oh and, yeah and the, mm-hmm. but there was always construction but the thing is in LA I drove Joanne to the airport and at I left what we left at six in the morning on Saturday and no traffic, but the roads suck. It's that stuff they fixed. It's my, I have an old car. I, I drive a piece of crap old car cause it has 102,000 miles mm-hmm. on it. And my insurance is $50 a month. So I'm like, it's paid oh, for. Fantastic. This is great. But the road, I was like, it was awful. But what I try to tell people you is you can get a pothole app for Los Angeles. By really? The way. They have that. That tells you where all the potholes are and where the ones that are going to be fixed. I mean, they're, I think that they're, the last thing I heard was that they're about 20 years behind on fixing them. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. I, mean, I, live in, I live in Burbank. It's so funny. It used to be when you went from Burbank to North Hollywood, you knew because North Hollywood's roads are just crap. Like it would just be mm. like you'd be driving and then it was like one big pothole. But even now they have potholes and it's like, you know, it's like, come on, you're in Burbank. I know, you know my what? tax not, dollars a lot. They're not potholes. They're sinkholes. Right? It's un- <laughs> We have a, this huge pothole, sinkhole on the street that I, I live in. That is the one thing. I mean, I have to say Los Angeles has really surprised me. So, you know, um, I went to college in New York. I went to NYU and I stayed in New York. I mean, when I was when I was in, when I moved to New York to go to college. I was so naive that I thought my original goal in life was to be listed in the New York phone book. I thought you had to do something because New York, I mean, you know, it's like it's, you've made, New yeah. York, you know. So I thought you had to do something really special to be listed in the phone book there. And I loved New York. And when I moved to L.A., I really thought, I don't I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just, what? It's a sprawl. It reminded me of uh, Miami where I grew up, and I really wanted to get away from that. Um, but Los Angeles is so surprising because it is full of really interesting people who do really interesting things other than show business. You think that you're in this industry town and there is that industry. I like to say I live Hollywood adjacent because I'm not in that world, right. but I have connections in that world. But it really is, that's not my my daily life. My daily life is I'm a mom, I've got a teenager. Uh, I just, I live the life basically of a writer now, but as a person, I mean, I'm, I'm just a, a woman in my 
52-year-old woman living in Los living in Los Angeles, not Hollywood. Right. Um, and there's a really interesting art scene. The restaurants are amazing. Food, if you're a foodie, Los Angeles is your town. Are you a big foodie? I'm a big foodie. I'll, uh-huh. give, I'll give you a restaurant. Okay. I, don't, I don't know All where right. you live, but a restaurant right. just opened in Burbank. Uh-huh. They used to be in Culver City. It's the owners. The place is called Commonwealth. I'm going to tell you, it's small dish. They, they have small plates. Oh, yeah. But me and Joanne went there for Valentine's Day. And, and what's the restaurant in Culver City? No, they closed. Common? I guess oh, it was, oh, but I it's see. the same owners. But it is honestly, I'm a, I'm a carnivore. I mean, I eat healthy, but I love uh-huh. everything. And I mean, everything from squid and octopus. Oh, I love to, squid. Yeah. It was, uh, it was uh, bro- I'm sorry, Brussels sprouts and octopus. Uh-huh. And then they had a, um, a cauliflower coated in parmesan with arugula and pine nuts which was out of the world and the lamb was and i'm a big lamb fan it was the best lamb i've ever had wow that is a foodie you have to go it's called commonwealth commonwealth okay, commonwealth. It's a, okay it's a little I, place i'm 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 around burbank all the time in city yelp City. yelp, Great. Okay, yelp has had 50 reviews i think 48 of them have been five I will stars yelp it here's something that no one else in the world was ready steve i'm going to say something that no one in the world is saying except right here Oh, I'll bing it. Oh. No, no one will ever say no. It's it. No, no one. No one. Google just Bing did not take off. Bing is like the eight track of search engines. It had some potential. It, it's, you thought it might. No, never, never going to happen. You but, mentioned eight yes. tracks in your book. I do and, mention. And I, it's funny thing about eight tracks because because I'm doing more of the talking today because you're you're you have a great voice. I just I feel bad because you're going on a book tour. And I don't want you to be you know. But eight tracks. My older brother. We grew up in New Jersey. He had a white Camaro. Okay, and everyone had, had a white Camaro in Miami Beach. Too. Okay, oh, there, and it was like it was. He got it. He was a senior, and my brother was this Adonis-looking guy. Like when I was, I was in advanced classes, and I remember I had to take summer school one time because I got a D in geometry. And my mom said, "You have to get rid of that D." And this girl, I remember, looks at me. She goes, "You're Tommy Cooper's little brother." My friend Debbie Angelino can't even walk when he walks down the hall, and it was a big thing when he drive me to Seven Eleven. And he had the A-track. And I know he had Steely Dan, Asia. Oh, he my had, God. I have, I still have it. Okay, Billy, Billy Joel, The Stranger. <laughs> I have that, too. Boston. Uh, I have Boston. And, and what's funny was, and if people you don't know, because you're younger people don't know, A-tracks were, like, so bad. Like, in the middle, let's say, uh, the, the Stranger by Billy Joel, he'd be singing and go... And it would switch tracks, and you would sit there and go, "Wait, the song just stopped," and it would come back on. It was, you know, eight tracks were practically like real to real recording. I mean, it was this huge piece of tape. Now, actually, some people say that the eight track sound was really great. You know, that that it was it was actually a really great sound that you right. got on those eight tracks. But they were clunky. They were kind of like a loaf of bread. Yeah, they were it big. Was, it was really ridiculous. Okay, I have to say one thing about Los Angeles. So. When I first moved here, um, I didn't know how long I was going to stay. So I was staying at a friend's place. I came out for a pilot season, you know, and I um, borrowed a car. And I borrowed the. I didn't. I didn't ask this friend of mine. I said I could borrow his car. I didn't know what it was going to be. It was a Pontiac Firebird, and it had the, <laughs> the, the big <laughs> bird with the wings on it. So tacky. It, it was so awful because you know uh, it attracted the wrong kind of people. Every time I would pull up to a stop. Uh, uh, 
a stoplight or a stop sign, a guy in a muscle car and a and a and a wife beater T-shirt and a lot of gold chains and kind of like that kind of hair that really like the Zumba intense. pants. Zumba, There's this oh, yeah, ugly Zumba yeah. pants. Would, would stop and they'd give me this little look and a wink and I'd be like, it's not my car <laughs> because cars out here, you know, announce who you are. The funny thing is, I was saying to my husband the other day that one of the great things about the Prius, you know, I'm really big into the whole sustainability, you know, thing, uh, is that besides the fact that um, it's cut down on pollution and it, you know, uses less gas, is that it's been an equalizer in terms of class, in terms right. of car status, which I think is really fantastic because, you know, uh, the, you know, you, you still see people in these really expensive, ridiculous cars. I mean, really, why does anyone need to drive a car that costs hundred? Well, it makes no it's sense. And, and it's, Someone's gonna hit it. I'm gonna hit it. No, and no one can drive out me. here. No one can drive out here. I'm gonna hit your Rolls Royce. I've done it before. I will do it again. It's not. It's ridiculous. You're you're just sitting in traffic anyway, idling, just burning up this gasoline. And and it's and it's embarrassing. Do you really have to show us how wealthy you are? But a lot of people, you know, a lot of actually, you know, movie stars switch to Priuses, and that's kind of great because it sort of leveled, uh, you know, the the sort of playing field in terms of this the car status thing. But I wanted to just say that there's a lot of great things about Los Angeles and great people out here that I never expected. I, I came out here to work and I stayed out here to live and to raise my kid here, which may be a questionable thing. But I, you know what I mean? It, it's there's a, there's a different LA than people, you know, think about in their brain when they think about oh Hollywood. There's there's a whole other culture. Oh yeah, and, and it's funny is I mean I I love I love Burbank. I mean Burbank reminds me of where I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. We had two good. You're high from so- Cherry Hill. Yeah. I know. Cherry Hill. What, what, what exit is that? Uh, no, it's not an exit. It's, oh, wait, no, it's, it's not, not an, exit, an exit. But the See, Cherry Hill Mall. Oh, Cherry Hill Mall was legend. Let yes. me tell you a, a very inside story that you bring up Cherry Hill. People okay. don't know. Years ago, years and years ago, when the Cherry Hill Mall first opened, they used to have monkeys in a cage. Like and the people walk by, like you know, like birds, and, and the monkeys got out one time and raised havoc in the mall, oh, and they had God. to get rid of the monkeys. I think like one lady got attacked by a monkey, but oh, Cherry, but Cherry Hill Mall, it's changed because I mean, before I met Joanne, I had not been back. Where, like my parents, my father passed, and my mom moved to Delaware. I had not been back, and then I also lived in Wilmington, Delaware. Okay, well, my mom and dad lived in Dover, which is like Dover. oh God, Do- it's awful. Dover is sadder than Wil- Wilmington. It's not sad. It's not a sad place. It's just gray a lot. The weather is gray. There used to be a. Was it Newark? Comedy Cabaret, Andy Scarpati's club, was uh-huh. in Newark, and that was like the bond. It was such a great club, but when you drove to it, you thought you were in Beirut. You'd be driving them. What the hell is this? But with, with Cherry Hill, my point, my point. I don't know what you're going to say. Uh, you were going to tell me an insider Cherry Hill story. Oh, that's the, the, the monkeys. monkeys. The monkeys. Yes. But oh it's funny, you know, Cherry Hill, but no, but that's what Burbank reminds me of Cherry Hill. And uh, yeah, so but you, you, lived, you so you lived in Delaware? Yes, we lived in Wilmington, Delaware, but Cherry Hill I knew very well because my best friend in college, who's still one of my best friends, comedian Wendy Hammers, if you don't yeah, know Wendy her stuff. Yeah, Wendy was married to Steve Middleman. Wendy was married to Steve Middleman. Wendy Kasmanoff, that's why I knew her. Kasmanoff, but now Kasmanoff. she's Wendy Hammers, and she's so funny, and she does great stuff. She has this great uh, storytelling show out in Los Angeles uh, called Tasty Words and she's I think she's going to start traveling around the country with it she's uh, so funny Wendy grew up in Cherry Hill she and went I to West. go back to Cherry Hill with her and so I know it very well she went to West I went to East because oh. I remember I, I, had, I hit her up I, I had worked with I had got I did stand up and I got out of it and then I was fooling around with it and then I know I someone I knew was a fan of Steve and I, would, I yeah. reached out I know Steve's he's married funny. I actually just called Steve last night and um 
But yeah, Wendy's a Cherry Hill. And I always love Cherry And there's a guy named Joe Madaris who's from Cherry Hill who's done mm-hmm. Letterman twice. Now, and- you know, some people get confused with me. Like, I've had a, I've had a very varied career let's just say uh and i say i say that with like that kind of you know uh, parenthetical around it because you know I've done a lot of different things and I've always worked with comedians you know when I was the anchor of not necessarily the news on HBO which is a long time ago now um that was my first TV series that I was a regular on after two hit from TV I don't even usually count that I don't even but that wasn't that in a bowling alley it was not in a bowling alley uh, but I did that with you know with comedians and then course dinner and movie with comedians I, I my husband was one of the original ben stiller show guys i've always been a part of that world and i perform you know i do solo performances and i performed with my husband when we wrote that um, you say tomato i say shut up book but i'm not a stand-up even though i do perform sometimes in clubs and storytelling i mean i just it's funny it's a it's a different it's a different thing um but it's like First cousins. Well, yeah, it's funny because storytelling is, there's a big boom in storytelling right now. There is. It, and it, I just did The Moth, which was fantastic. The Moth, and I've, I've the heard The Moth of that. is a Moth radio hour. You do these live storytelling nights and it's on NPR. It's fantastic. Well, you've done Storyworthy too. Uh-huh. I was yes, just I on did, there yeah. a few weeks ago and I told a story about me wrecking my Fiero back in That's 1987. Funny. But the storytelling, because well, and your but your book, like you could you could do a storytelling tour with I'm your gonna book. I'm going to be doing that. Because um, they're all good stories. That. Thank you. I mean, I love telling stories. As an actress, I was just a different part of the storytelling process. Now as a writer, you know, I'm I'm writing these stories. And I, I, I love performing too. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, uh, this book, the um, I See You Made an Effort book, this is the first time that I've written to be read as opposed to performing first. So for a number of years, I was a commentator on NPR, and of course I was writing those pieces to perform them on the radio. Um, and a lot of the writing I've done in the past has been first performed. So the You Say Tomato book, we performed it first at Comedy Central out here and we developed it as as performances. This book, I actually wrote and now I'm performing it too, which I have to adapt it for that. But so I, I sort of made a, a shift in sort of what I've been doing, which is sitting in a room by myself. And that's really, that's really different. You know, having started out as a performer, my I was I'm, I really love and I'm used to the collaborative process. Right. So now switching to being alone in a room with my computer, uh, it's really um, it can be really lonely. So I'm actually really excited. I'm going on a 13 I don't know maybe more city tour, and you can you know you can find that on my website at annabellegorwich.com or Facebook or Twitter, the Twitter, the Facebook. That means you're old when you say the in front of those things. Um, but on the website, you know, it, it lists these dates, and this is like oh, it's so much fun for me to get to share this material and to get out of my little room because I was you know a performer who was so used to getting the feedback from people and just being in you know the energy the exchange of energy with people so for me um this time i'm so excited to, to go on it's tour. it's great because it's something that you know you're, you're right writing is completely different you know i mean we all and the thing about writing is also is you have to be so disciplined because you know you're creative i'm a creative person yeah. our minds wander i've had to learn this kind of discipline so you know for many years my life was um <clears throat> 
going where people told me to go, saying what people told me to say as an actress. You know, I, you, it was a structure that I actually functioned really well in. I liked having someone tell me, you know, where I where I needed to be and, and what I needed to do. Um, and I and I miss that sometimes. So now I do that for myself as a writer, and I have become a very disciplined writer. I've developed sort of my, my own, you know, editing strategy. I teach I teach class sometimes, but mostly what I'm doing is, you know, writing to these deadlines that I have or making up deadlines for myself and I and I'm able to do it. I I don't I never thought I would. Do you know what I mean? When I first started writing and still I have days where I will sit there and I don't I, I've never had like writer's block. Right. I, I don't I just I don't believe in that. I, I think sometimes for me writer's block <clears throat> is you write it and you just go, hey, you know, it's not that good. And that, that's all. And you go, okay, well, I have to write something else. And well, I think that the idea of writer's block has to do with a kind of perfectionism that you can strangle yourself with. And, you know, it's one of the things I write about in this, um, in this new book is that one of the opportunities, as I like to say, of turning 50 is, you know, it is this benchmark. It is this, it is, it is a number that has some weight to it. And there are these real things. It's not just, I don't think, a neurotic thing to say, you know, it's a moment in time that, that it deserves reckoning with. I mean, as a woman, you know, I dealt with the end of my fertility. But also, you know, as a mother, I've got my kid getting older. I've got my parents who are starting to fail. I've got, you know, real things happen in my, real oh, yeah. things. You have real, maybe, health issues. I know I have some real health issues now, like my genetics have caught up with me and there's some things that have nothing to do with the way I look which is pretty thin I've got this like you look look very young you you're you're in good shape well I'm in good shape because I'm supposed to exercise every day because I have pre-diabetic stuff happening and you know and and I have this like arthritis thing happening and and so you know these like real things that I never would have associated with myself I mean you know I don't think I look like this but this number can mean something in in reality you know you know you're right and it's funny because for me I mean I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure two years ago wow. and but I've never been healthier I go to the gym five days a week I'm, I've thinned out I mean my, one of my girlfriends a fitness freak she loves, she's worked out for years but I started eating healthy which I'm actually right we talk about writing I'm writing a cookbook called stop the assault you know instead of salt because it's sodium will kill you I'm not gonna go into that but it's true as you get older these things when we hit 50 for me it wasn't a big thing it was like I remember my buddies like oh you're gonna go get a uh Sports car now, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I, I can't have a midlife crisis because I haven't grown up yet. I said I'm still the same person I've always been. I just, I don't feel like I get up sometimes in the couch and I'm like, holy crap, my back hurts. I'm like, I, I walk I like know. an old man. I'm like, I'm like, my girlfriend's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I think it's being fifty. Well, you know, it's really scary. So like, you know, I get old people noises will come out of my <laughs> mouth sometimes. Like if I, if I'm not careful, I'll go like. But I'm getting up. I'm like, oh my god, I must avoid that. And then you know, I got this, um, got this like arthritis in my hands thing. Now I uh, play tennis three times a week. I I try to run every day. I don't play tennis. I mean, I'm really you know, I'm I'm doing the things you're supposed right. to do. But every single day of my life my hands hurt see and it's not like i'm gonna get over this right when you're younger you're like oh i got this thing and now i'm gonna get it no i'm gonna have this now this is part of me and so for me you know 
one of the things that I mean I write about in this book it's there's a lot of like angry you know I mean it, it's I'm not going down without a fight people you know and so I'm writing about you know acceptance too because you know this kind of stuff can just freak you out and floor you and take you by surprise and so that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book was to you know, you know, misery loves company. You just realize you're not the only one going through this. And I think that's, we need to know that. I mean, because like, even like when you talk about Brown as El the new McPherson black. has turned 50 yeah, people. Co- Sandy Bullock is 50. Keanu yeah. Reeves, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has turned, it's yeah, 50. Chris, uh, Cheryl Teagues is 60. Cheryl Teague, or something. Know, it's like you're going, like wow. People, but I know, it's it's sort of like, wow, you know, this is not, this is not just me alone. But yeah, but the thing I think also is, 50 and maybe it's because we're in Hollywood maybe whatever you know 50 is a lot different than it used to be like I remember when someone said 50 it was like I wouldn't be wearing a Gilby Clark t-shirt if I was okay. 50 let me say this so you know it's something I write about in the book I mean the book is it's a series of comedic essays but I always do like to write you know with a certain amount of consciousness about what's going on in in, in the social and political sphere so you know um, 50 in a lot of senses, it isn't just because we live in Los Angeles. 50 is different than the old 50, and that has to do with a number of social trends. So first of all, women having children later. When my mother was 50, she was a grandmother. When my when her mother was 50, that was like considered a really long lifespan. I mean, we have doubled our lifespan, in effect, within the last 100 years. So you're really looking at a different life, you know, and that has like great things and also really weird and new problems because I I think part of the thing is we don't know what we're supposed to look like right. or feel like or should we even acknowledge this and I so I sort of I say you know 50 isn't the new 40 it's the new 50 right so let's figure it out let's let's figure out what this is supposed to be but let's not kid ourselves because you know what anyone who's 40 knows you're not 40 exactly when you're 50 you're not kidding anybody well, my, my my thing used to be if you're 40 I used to have a standard if you're at least if you're a male if you're 40 and you've never been married or divorced or had a DUI there's something wrong with you if you haven't had one of those three <laughs> there's something wrong because for me I've had all three That's but funny. it's just but it's true the you triple there, threats exactly Steve Cooper's a triple threat <laughs> but no it's but 50 now it's cool I, I, I was like I'm not worried you know I think um you know I went, I went bald when I was like 30. I went bald later. But I sit there and I go, I know, I'm not going to go through a midlife crisis. My girlfriend's 47. She's beautiful. I said, I don't need a sports car. I have a good-looking girlfriend. I love what I do. So I don't need, you know, like we were talking about the cars earlier. Mm-hmm. I drive a piece of crap. I'll tell you one thing. I ain't getting pulled over by cops. I always wear hats. They think I'm an old man. That They're not pulling me over. That is really funny. Well, I feel like, you know, I did have a midlife crisis. And... um and that is what the, it, you know, in some sense, it is a midlife crisis book. Um, you know, because what, what happened was, you know, I didn't intend to start writing a book about turning 50. What happened was there was a, I was writing a series of essays about these sort of hilariously humiliating, at least to me, I mean, I had to, let me just say, I had to laugh about these let humiliating me one second. I got to tell you about that okay. damn makeup you wrote about. Okay. First time me, my, I was dating my ex-wife and it was back when Clinique was big. Oh, Our yeah. first Christmas. And of course there's girls behind the counter. Like you said, the girl, well, they, they see me. I was a young guy, you know, with a credit card. I look like an idiot. Man, did I get abused? Because they all pop you with the, hey, well, you know, you can get the dramatically different for uh, $12 or you can get the big one, which is five times. For, and I walked and I'm like, 
Jesus Christ, I just spent $125 you, of makeup. You, I don't use I, I don't even use shaving cream when I shave. It is dangerous. It's like it's like it's like it's almost worse than like waterboarding, okay? You go into a you go into a department store and particularly if you're a woman of a certain age, you are a target. They just see you coming and they seduce you with these adjectives and adverbs. It does make me feel good that if you're an English major, you can get a job <laughs> in the cosmetics industry because there's reparative, restorative, collagen producing, it's, it's, it's anti-aging, age-defying, anti-gravital. There's this whole thing called the cosmeceutical industry, which conflates the two words cosmetics and pharmaceuticals. The FDA does not recognize the word <laughs> cosmeceutical, by the way. It doesn't mean anything but you know you can't help but be but there's something about it that just sort of like it reaches into your wallet and the next thing you know you're you've walked out and your wallet is a lot lighter you know and it's 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 terrifying because it it just plays upon this thing that i think a lot of us feel like women and men about like am i losing my virility am i losing my sex appeal and in one sense yes yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> no, i, 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 yeah. Lo I love people who are younger than us you're becoming invisible yeah. i love the line when you said my hands were just dirty that just when you're talking about this oh, stuff yeah. and it's yeah. just so funny because it's so true because we don't know and you're right we're you know we're not, it's like when you shop for organic stuff. You know, I crack up when people buy organic stuff and they watch it. I go, well, it's not organic anymore because yeah, you just yeah. put water on it. It's like, and we don't know. And when you hear the, the creams, they work and all. Yeah, well, of course, you know, when you go there, it's like right. when, when I had hair, you know, when you leave, your hair looked perfect, you know, but I mean, I always wanted to have the Simon LeBond cut, but it just oh didn't, God, it didn't so work. Funny. I would take yeah. a picture. In that go, story, I talk about how this woman at the behind the counter, she's taking this scrub and she's scrubbing my hand. All of a sudden, the skin looks like brighter and lighter. <laughs> and I go home and I try in the shower and I just realize I had dirty hands. And it's I, so funny. It's so true, though. Awful. Now, now you you grew up in you traveled a lot when you grew up. We now, we we you know I sort of lived the American hustle childhood. My dad was an entrepreneur, and um, this book isn't a memoir about my life, but it does. But I do write about some of this stuff because you know one of the things I wanted to write about Steve was class and class mobility, and I think this is a big issue. This is one of those issues that you do face as you get older, where you say like, "Hey, I realize now, when I was younger, I." You, you pass in and out of different places when you're younger. You know, you, you can go into just about anywhere. Youth can give you, the, and, the, and promise gives you entree to all kinds of places in society that do start to, certain doors close for you as you get older. Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, but uh, that's one of the stories in the book is about when I realize, and I'm going to this five-star hotel, and as a comedian, you know, you'll relate to this and as a, as a radio personality. So I'm volunteered to host at this charity event, and I suddenly realize, oh, the charity is paying for me to stay there at night. Uh, I, I don't go to these hotels and pay for them myself, but everyone else here they 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 just spend this money like this oh this is a different world there's another world out there that that i you know when i was young not that i'm saying i, I dreamed about this as a goal but it's sort of there's a sort of a thing of oh there's a recognition oh that's not my world that there are different worlds and some of them will not be your world and i feel like i had to recognize that and reckon with that at this age and 
not to say that this is like, I mean, I think I live a very privileged life. We live in a first world country. It's a first world problem for sure. But I think it is a source of unhappiness if you, if you uh, live with that kind of tension in your life. And I think a lot of us can get sucked into that right. in this American materialistic society. And um, I felt like one of the things that I've done at this age is try to make my peace with an acceptance with where I am and what I'm doing and uh, let go of let go of an anxiety around that, you know, and to really take 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 stock of that. See, I always, I always call it white people problems. I always sit there like when my it girlfriend my problem. girlfriend it's said true. she's like she's like she was having a bad day because uh-huh. I fell asleep on the couch before she fell. Like, I only wanted five hours sleep. I'm like, you know what? That, that's that's you're you're flying out and you're pissed off because they didn't upgrade you to first class. I said. You're not even paying for your flight. University of Pennsylvania is paying for your flight. I said that's white people problem. I said there, you know, you should be glad you're going to fly back and see your family, mm-hmm. and you don't have to pay. You can speak because she's she's an advocate for women's rights because she's mm-hmm. a she's mm-hmm. a uh, victim of uh, violent crime many years oh, ago. Wow! But she goes and she speaks to colleges and advocate centers, and she's just starting it now. But mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I said you can't be pissed. I said you one, you're doing such a noble thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually I got her car to pick her up at the airport because it was her first out of town trip speaking. So I said I'll let her feel like in first class now to pick her up with the Joanne Butero sign. But that's the thing. We we sit there and there's those lies like you're right, like the people always stay in those hotels. I wouldn't I don't I'm no I'm one of those people I don't give a crap. You know what it's like I'm fine with okay. my, my well, little hotel because from doing stand up we, yeah. we used to stay from staying in a casino oh to like a, a, yes, a, right. a, a old converted trailer park was the worst in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well here okay I'm gonna just admit this. Yeah. Oh those nice hotels? Oh my God. It's fabulous. Of course, I don't have the money to do that. No, I'm going to say, no, sure, I can be seduced by that. It's fantastic. But on a day, but if I live that way in my, but, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not, but if I'm unhappy with my own life because I don't live that life, that's going to make me unhappy. And that's sort of one of the things I felt it was important to do at 50 is to say, what is it that makes me unhappy? And I definitely feel like, uh, you know, envy and that sort of thing and that's very big in our culture i mean look at the culture we live in the 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 fascination with people like the kardashians i find that just turns my stomach it repulses me the kardashians so repulsive to me but this this um this uh donald trump this sort of fascination we have with wealth it can creep up in certain ways in your life and i feel like you know at this age, I've had to just really say, like, you know what? Anything that's not working for me, I've got to let go of. I've got to really, because I don't want to. I don't want to waste any time on that. And I could definitely get into not so much the, you know, the envy of I me. Mean, my God, Donald Trump. It's he's he's a scary person, but other people's careers. You know, um, one of the things I say in the book is I say I'm not becoming anything anymore. I'm. I mean, this is. This is uh, this is just who I am now. Now, not to again, not like I'm not trying to become a, you know. Every day I try to, you know, I'm gonna sound like a do-gooder, but you know, to, to contribute to the world, to contribute to my family, to, to try to add something good. So it's not like it's you know I'm saying it's all over, but I think that um, I know for myself there's a certain kind of perfectionism and a kind of thing I was punishing with myself with about like am I successful enough or not successful enough and I just think at a certain point in your life 
you should do it at any age, do it at 20, do whatever. But for me, sort of 50 was sort of a time when I wanted to say, you know what, this is just who I am. I'll move forward now and see what happens. But I, I just can't be on, on ha- I don't want to have mental unhappiness. Sure, white people problems. Sure, first world problems. But we do live in a neurotic society. Oh, yeah. So trying to lessen the neurosis, just just one more opportunity to do that, to take a stand at 50 and say, fuck that. Oh, well, excuse me. Sorry. Well, well, the thing, though, about you is that you've, you've had a very good career. I mean, you go, it's, I always, as I said, I'm, I'm the king of IMDb. That's mm-hmm. what I, when I find a guest, that's how I do my research, you know, Wikipedia's after. But the thing is, it's good you put this book, cause, but you, you've had a very successful career. And the thing is, you're a multi, you're a multifaceted. You're not just an actor. You know, you've written, you've been published, you've done this. And so, I mean, that's the thing. When you look back, well, it should be a very, you should be very proud of it. I, you know, I, I, um, I'm, 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 I've had a really, I've been able to, I've been, I feel very lucky that I've been able to do really interesting and varied work. Um, I've, I've, you know, done a number of reinventions and it wasn't just because it was fun. It was because it just, I need to work. I mean, right. I'm a scrappy, my friend Melanie Mayron, who was on 30 yeah. something. I love Melanie. She's, a, she's, she directs now. She once said, you know what we are? We're scrappy Jewish girls. Uh, you know, and it's not just because I love being scrappy, but I have to. Um, I've had to reinvent because certain doors close. And uh, you have to, in this career of, you know, in this um, show business and in, in the creative art world, you, you, have to, you have to be very creative to have to sustain a career, um, at least for me. I think there are some people who uh, have, uh, oh gosh, you know, people who are really great looking, who <laughs> people just give things to. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, that, that, that is not me. I, I just try to find ways to be creative and to make money i have to earn a living you know so i was gonna ask you i know i, I don't i don't know if it was already happened or it's coming up you're doing an interview thing with uh jane kaz oh i did that about a year ago I how did, did you get in, how did you that. get into that how did you get into the interviewing thing i mean was it something that you that someone approached oh, oh, that you? no that's um live talks la that's okay. one of my book events uh with jane kazmar no you know i mean i i was the hosted tv shows for a number of years so doing that kind of thing to doing nights well uh, like that is is really fun for me again that's sort of a return to for me for you know the kind of interaction i like to have so interesting thing in the book world these days you know everyone's trying to figure out you know how do we sell books how do we you know when there's not bookstores as many as there used to be although i'm a big indie bookstore person i'm going to be at powell's in portland i'll be at book passage in san francisco there's all these great books and books in miami there's all these great vibrant indie bookstores anything in philly uh no not yet philly invite me go to cherry hill fred stoller spoke at the jcc i book. it's a huge it's a giant jcc oh i've heard heard about that hit them up i bet wendy hammers uh has has uh clap with them gonna call wendy and fred i love fred fred is fantastic uh and i i loved his book just by the way my son Seinfeld, the my Seinfeld year, right? Great, great book. So, um, what I was going to say was, uh, so one of the ways that um, publishers and booksellers have come up with making, you know, 
an event because an event helps focus people towards buying a book is at least the theory is having conversations so i'm doing something in pasadena with jerry stahl author of permanent midnight he was on a few weeks ago what a April. great guy he's a great guy I'm doing something with jane kasmerick in santa monica i'll be with barbara ehrenreich uh in in dc so you know this is why in new york i'll be with randy cohen the former ethicist from the new york times at the 92nd street y so you know this is one of the ways that you make book events is by doing these conversation interview nights. Well, explain what goes on at your book signing when you go. Mm-hmm. Do you now tell the people? Do you read the book? Do you read passages or what exactly? Because I've never been to a book signing. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm, oh I'm shallow that way. Well, what, you know, what are you going to do? Well, okay. So first of all, if you've never been to a book signing or you live in a place where you don't get to have authors come out much, you know, go to my website. Go to my Facebook page. Uh, a lot of these events get taped. Okay. And so it's fun. You can you can watch a long line. I just did an event with PJ O'Rourke. It's a really funny. Writer. I have I have a book of his. Uh, he's so great. So where I interviewed him. So um, and that's online. Uh, you just Google me and PJ O'Rourke. So uh, you know, there's there are all different kinds of events. Some are author events where I'll read. People will ask me questions. Sometimes they're just straight interview talks with, uh, like with Jerry Stahl. That's going to be a talk. We'll be talking about the new book. We'll be talking about the writing process, and then some events are signings. Like I've got two events in LA this week where. Um, I'll read from the book. And then I also have actresses sometimes come. And I've got uh, Gina Gershon, who's turning 50 in New York, who's meeting me in New York. She's going to read from my book. I've got Annabeth Gish in Los Angeles. She's one of my favorite actresses. Mystic Pizza. Mystic Pizza. And she's on on The Bridge. which is I love The the Bridge. The Bridge is an amazing show. There's a few things. First of all, I'm sure you're also a true detective fan. I'm a very big true detective fan. Is it sick how great of an actor Matthew McConaughey is? And it's it's not that he's hands down gorgeous. Something happened to him. Yeah, everyone says that. Where he, okay, first of all, you know, they tried to make him, or, you know, the way the business goes, they tried to make him to this heartthrob guy, and he spent many years in rom-coms, romantic comedies, with his shirt unbuttoned, tanned, and it was awful. Now that he is weird and kind of back to his oaky Texas roots, he's great. It's amazing. He's, he's so it, it's like he had a full body head transplant. I don't know what happened. Ha, what? But it was. It's also. It's the kind of roles. But remember, his, one of his first movies was Dazed and Confused. Yep. He was <laughs> hands down astounding in that movie. He's astounding in Dallas Buyers Club. He's astounding in Mud. True Detective. I'm obsessed with it. I watched this past week's episode twice. I, I do that too. It's, it's so funny. Who and, is the Yellow King? If you know who the Yellow King is and you Abe have Vigoda. a good idea, it's Abe Vigoda. It's Abe Vigoda. Hit me up on Twitter at Annabelle Gerwich. I will send you a free copy of I See You Made an Effort if you've got a good theory on who the Yellow King is. What amazes me about that, well, it's just sort of like the bridge, too. There's these TV shows. Well, the thing that stinks. Well, the, TV inter- is great. In- interesting these days. thing about uh, True Detective is it's only one writer. It's not a staff. It's one guy. Yes. And it's only mm-hmm. going to be next week's the last episode. And then if it comes back, it's a completely different cast. But it's just. Oh, that, is that. Yes. Oh, they're going to tell different stories, like yeah, American like Horror. The guy, the guy had uh-huh. he wrote these, and you're not going to get McConaughey and Woody Harrelson on TV again. Ma- McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are 
amazing combination. Yeah. Woody Harrelson's very, I think, underrated. I, I think he is a he is a very strong actor. Remember when he played Larry Flint? Yeah. Uh, he's he's yes, you're right. He is underrated. Everyone he thinks him of his Cheers. They think of that role. They don't think right this guy who and yeah he played Larry Flint in this role. He's you're, great. You're so right. He's a he is a great actor who was so good in Cheers that people thought he was kind of like you know. Not too bright, right? Uh, and that was just great acting, and that that can happen for actors. You get pegged as something, and then it's hard to get out of. And he was so good in that. It was also, yeah, no, it's really. I mean, he is so much fun to watch. He's these characters are so deep and layered and dark and the loose ends. And he can play a badass. Then he can play like a doof. And that's I what's know. good about him. He's now, what made you get into a acting? A doofy badass. A doofy badass. Now, that takes some work. That's, what um, made you get into this whole thing? I mean, uh, you, you were a kid. Were you performing as a kid? Yes. I, I mean, not professionally, thank God. Because I would be, you know, probably, I would be Dana in Plato. prison. I'd be, yeah, no, it's very sad. Um, and whenever anyone tells me, I say this in the book, whenever anyone tells me that their kid has been bitten by the drama bug, I always say, what's going on? We have to nip this in the butt. What, what's, this is a, don't, don't this is a mistake. Um, you know, I was a kid who grew up in a house where we were rich, we were poor, we were rich, we were poor, we moved around a lot. It was being, you know, in plays was a way for me to disappear into these other worlds and um and I loved the language of theater I just I really did I fell in love with Shakespeare I was I started out as a in in really serious theater I mean the idea when I came out to Los Angeles after having worked in in theater in New York I came out and people started casting me in these comedies not but I, I don't know. I did. I was a what? This is just. I don't even. I did, did, didn't even. I, I didn't own a television, and I. I just was just a total surprise for me. I. I thought I was gonna maybe be in Merchant Ivory period dramas. I don't. It was just a whole <laughs> different thing. Um, but I. I love thing I loved about theater was the collaboration and being in a cast of people and uh and collaborating and being in these worlds just getting lost in these other worlds and that is exactly the opposite of I mean writing you do get lost in the in the world that you're writing but it's just the opposite of being alone you know in a room so I've really definitely doing something different in my life but I I love a challenge that's the thing is I I get this thing where I just get obsessed with something I was obsessed with acting I mean I lived and breathed it that's very unattractive let me just say I lived and breathed it for what many is, years being 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 obsessed, in, being obsessed. I thought it was biting my nose was no, no 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 me I'm talking about my unattractiveness of being obsessed with with work I, I'm a little bit of a workaholic now I get obsessed with sentences I get obsessed with the story trying to get you know the overview and I'm really proud of this new book uh, there's some flaws in it that I wasn't able to, I don't think I was able to get around. What would you say is one of the flaws that you can get around? Well, um, what was hard for me to conceive of, so I wrote the book as a series of essays. And then I, I'm not, there's the way they fit together and the order they're in, there is, um, there is a certain kind of build to the 
book, but I wanted the essays to also stand on their own because the way I like to read, I love reading short stories and essays. I'm a little bit obsessed right now with this guy named John Jeremiah Sullivan, whose book came out a couple years ago called Pulphead. And it's just such extraordinary writing. But the way that I read them is I pick up different, I, you know, I read, I don't read them consecutively. So I wanted the pieces to stand on their own, but then I also wanted there to be a build in case you read it consecutively. Okay. And I, I had trouble tracking, and I, I mean, I did a whole kind of edit where I was looking at the, the way that different things were mentioned in different stories, and I tried to sort of connect these comedic runners throughout them. But there were, you know, there were some things that just, you know, some things. There, you know, it's 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 not perfect. And my goal is always my goal as an actress was to become a better actress all the time. Every job I take on. And still, when I get to act, which is fun for me, I try to become, you know, better at, at this craft. And uh, and that's what I'm trying to do as a writer. Now I'm just trying I'm trying to become a better writer all the time. And there's, you know, uh, it's funny because I was, when, as an actress, uh, I, I've gotten to work with some great directors. I've worked with Wes Anderson, um, worked with Mike Figgis. I mean, some really really brilliant people um, and I never got to work with Marty Scorsese but I did meet him a few times I was auditioning for a movie and we talked a lot about this that film about the life of Jesus um, and uh, one of the things he said to me was that he is really he was really unhappy with King of Comedy he said he never thought he got I love that, that right movie. Uh, I said what are you I talking about that movie. I, I was just going to say I was going to interrupt you and say that's one of his most underrated is, best movies to me it's, it's maybe still my, fav- my favorite movie of his Rupert Pumpkin Rupert Pumpkin it's a Sandra Bernhardt in that movie just blew me away. Jerry Lewis in that movie. It's of course uh, Robert De Niro in that movie. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. He was telling me about the flaws in it, and he says every time he finishes a movie, well, he told me this years ago, he wants to go back and, and redo it again. You know, and and I think every time I write a book, this is my third now. I can see afterwards, ooh, you know, I, I see I see where, you know, these things about it that I want to improve. But, I mean, that's hopefully what we're all doing, right? That we're all trying to improve all the time, whatever it is that we do. And that's my goal. Yeah, I think that's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, me for my interviewing process, you know, I've learned in the beginning, I didn't know what the hell I was, I was never on radio. I didn't know how to do it. And then I, li- I don't listen. I never listen to my shows. Just, mm-hmm. uh, I just, because I don't want to hear my voice. I don't, you know, oh, and I, I know. just, because I'm sitting there going to then go, well, you know, I, I had the interview. I don't, yes, you know, I, 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 yeah. I was here. I don't need to listen again. I know some people who love the sound of their own voice. I'm uh, like, no, no, I don't no. want to hear it. seven years I did dinner in a movie. I know, I don't think I saw a single show. I, I was there. I did it. And for that, you know, amount of time the show was interstitials during movies it was total of maybe 30 minutes or something but you know 10 hours to make 30 minutes because we were cooking food and it was such a it was a very elaborate process i was so sick of me why would i why would i right <laughs> it's like that's sick for me but now now with a book though okay mm-hmm. and and it's a very good book and you know you're bearing your you bear your soul a little bit because you don't now. Does is that scary when you're because you're putting it out there? And the, for me, the thing would be if I do a crappy interview. You know what? There's there's another interview. And p- people just won't. But for you, was it was it weird because you bury your soul? Terrifying. I mean, the thing is, is you know, I I really try to think about what I'm doing as a writer. Inadvertently, one can. I mean. Y- 
You know, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, you try not to be defined by these things, but I, <laughs> I read those reviews. I do. I try. How do you? How do you? To... When you get a bad review, how, does it? Do you get pissed or do it you get upset? It scars your soul. You get this. You know, I mean, because it was. I just read an interesting article about that. How the negative reviews stick with you in a way that the positive reviews don't. They just. It's like someone just like. You know, it's like a tattoo in your brain that scars your brain. And but but here's the thing is that sometimes I've agreed with I was like, oh, maybe I pushed that a little too hard. Maybe, you know, I mm, did I get that story? It's it's, but it's interesting because, you know, when I'll read or people will tell me their reaction to the book. Someone will say, uh, if I'm lucky, oh, my favorite chapter is the one about the assisted suicide that you did with your friend, or my favorite chapter is the one about how hard it is to get dressed at this age. They said different things will affect different people, and it's always like, but what about the other, what about the one about staying in the expensive hotel? That's the one that I really love. You know, it's so funny. You, 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 you can't win, first of all. Everyone hits people different ways, but people will also define you in certain ways. Like I read something like, oh, she makes a likable narrator. I was like, oh, am I, I thought of like Obama saying to Hillary Clinton, <laughs> you're likable enough. I was like, likable, <laughs> you know, it's, but it's, it's hard. Like you, you, when you're writing and it's, you know, your it's words you. as opposed to acting, but you know, it is the same thing. Here's the thing. There are actors that I just don't like their faces. I don't like to watch that person. I don't like anything about them. So when I realized that, I realized there's someone out there saying the exact same thing about me. They just don't like me. My father was and like that. My father always hated David Brenner. I just don't like the way he looks. And, and he goes, I need a dad. Something about him. I don't like his face. And then right. Seinfeld. I don't like, I don't like Seinfeld's right. face. I'm like, there dad, is, they're great. There is, it's a crazy thing. So we all just have these reactions. So maybe this reviewer, maybe this person doesn't like the way, doesn't like me for some reason. And, you know, you have to, you know, find an acceptance in that. But um, it is a strange thing because as you're writing and you're trying to think about, even when you're doing memoir, you know, you're thinking about this character you as this character and how you're presenting this character and whether or not it is giving the portrait i mean that's the whole thing successful writing what is successful writing successful writing is communicating what you had the 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 message in the way that you set out to do that so for instance you know People talk about that in terms of acting like, oh, well, you're playing a character that's likable or unlikable. How do you feel about that? Well, you, you know, I mean, like when you see someone great like uh, like Woody Harrelson, is is that character likable or unlikable on True, on True Detective? He does a lot of really, really He's nasty real things. He's kind of a jerk. But you love watching him. So right. as a writer, the success, you know, is did I successfully portray this person, me, in the way that, you know, in this story, in this book, the way I intended. And it's really hard to get a handle on that. It's really hard to be objective when you're writing first-person essay. And I just think some people it'll work for, some people it won't work for. And you hope there's just more who it works for than it doesn't. Well, I'm sure. I think you're going to get a lot of... uh 
of fan mail from people who are 50 because it's you you attack it you know and, and i said i can read it and i'm a guy it's like we talk mm-hmm. about nia's book mm-hmm. i read it it was good but now my girlfriend when she reads it she'll be all over it and that's the thing i think you're, you're gonna get i think it's gonna be a, a good for women that are getting older because well, you know, i i personally think first of all i would never date like a 25 year old i think the most beautiful women are 40 and up i i just i feel that because they're smart as i say you know they think they know the band, the cars, and I think I'm talking about the movie, the cars. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's it's just something that as women get older, because we ha- we came from like the '80s, such a great generation. Yeah, that that yeah, yeah. I want great someone to know music. that. Yeah, yeah that uh-huh. knows flock of seagulls or you know haircut 100. I want someone like that. Yeah, new order, very important. I love new order. Got yeah. it. Got oh yeah, got that, that was that was the club. Order. That was the dance club, and that was the song. And I also it's funny. I saw you were in um you were in Bright Lights Big City. I was. And pump up the volume was like the club. Like that was like the drug song. Like everyone. Was like, oh, Let yeah, me just pump say, up the volume. I mean, you know, for me, the Ramones was much more of a definer than like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. I'm of the generation where the Ramones are what blew my mind. You know, that is that was when I first saw the Ramones. I was like, what the, what is that? Funny thing is, I lived on the same block as Joey Ramone in New York, and see, I used to cool. see him walking with his mother. It was crazy. I heard they were like big little kids. What, they what, were. What, what were some of your '80s bands you like? Now you're talking about the '80s. What were some of your like favorite okay, bands? I liked Yaz. I liked I liked um, uh, Susie and the Banshees. I loved Blondie. I loved Three Teens Kill Four, which was a I local band in New York. Okay. I, used to, I just loved the, the name Psychedelic Furs. I was major into that. Ramones, Clash. You know, See, it's good. It's always, it's, it, that was such good music. And it's funny. There's a band from Philly called the Hooters that I still uh-huh. love. Yeah. And I actually yeah, yeah. ordered a uh-huh. Hooters t-shirt because oh I was like, God, it was like a so 20th. Funny. And I remember seeing when I was in college yeah. and it amazed me because these bands are still playing and they still sound good. Well, you know, it's funny because a few years back I became friends with uh, Jerry Casali from Devo. Okay. And Devo, again, it was one of those bands um, that just blew me away. I mean, it was just like that thing of like that. It was just, you know, that was a lot of really provocative stuff going on at that moment. And, you know, it's internalized, which is why we relate to each other. And I do hope that people will find this book and, and like it and it feel like it is. I love when you said attacked it because I do feel like I want to attack this thing of being 50. I do. I'd like to squash it. and, 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 and Well, I'll be posting on know. Facebook how good uh, it is. Thank you. Um, but you know what I mean? I think you have to sort of attack it. Otherwise, you're running from it and you're running from an experience that I think is really important to embrace. Yeah. And it's my, my turning 50. I was like, you know what? I go, I don't I don't give a crap. You know, I, yeah, it's 50. It's, I still feel pretty much the same. You know I mean? I But it's, I don't, but I, I don't feel like, oh my God, I'm 50. Now I'm like some alien, you know? And that's the thing. And, and, but we, we, people always put numbers like you're 50 and it's like, it's stupid. The numbers. So crazy. It sounds so huge. So. <laughs> really. It's like, it's a bit, it's a big number. We have a few minutes left. It's been yeah. a pleasure talking with you. Thank um, you so, uh, yeah, tell people, um, What's coming up with the book? And do you have any acting yeah. coming up or just um, writing? No, I, I am just totally focused on this book right now. So um, I see you made an effort. You can get it on Amazon or your local bookstore, and I'll be out from coast to coast on tour. And I really hope people will come out and do me a favor. If you go to Facebook and you join the, I see you made an effort book tour page. I'm asking, going to be asking people to tell me uh, their something called the 4am club 
what it, what is it that keeps you awake at 4 a.m.? What are you thinking about? Um, I think that's a real midlife moment. It's a moment for, for, for I think, everybody. What, what it, but I'm, I'm really curious about that. So go to that page, and I'm collecting stories. Maybe that'll be my next project. Yeah, do, you, do you have another book planned? Because, I mean, you know, this one's bearing your soul. So the next one, I mean, I don't know. What, what, is, what goes through your head? I, am, I have not given a thought past this book i'm gonna admit it i'm gonna be performing uh this as a as a live show but um i'm gonna be on tour for the next month and just out and about and promoting the book and sharing it with people and then performing it and after that i have no idea steve it has taken you know these things take just all of my energy i who who knows i've just no clue it's crazy it's just in, in a form of insanity write a book is like sort of like entering this sphere of insanity because you just it, for me it just takes everything well, I want to thank you. I'll give your info again. Your Twitter, um, Twitter, right. tweet. So tweet, you can find me on the Twitter at Annabelle Gerwich, which is I actually spell differently than my name, but you can find me on there. It's it's easy. Who else would want to be Annabelle Gerwich? No one. It's a terrible name. So I'm on the Facebook, and I have a website, AnnabelleGerwich.com, and um, and come check it out and come and see me. I I really will be crisscrossing the country, and if you see me lost in an airport. Thank God everyone has a smartphone because they can go to the they go to the Facebook page that says the tour schedule and you can put me on the right plane because there's always a moment where you're lost. So go to the I see you made an effort book tour and set me buy me a cup of coffee, hug me. And set me in the right direction. Well, good. Yeah, so do that, people. I want to thank you. And people, for me, send me an email, cooper at indy100.com, coopertalk.net. I have about 240 episodes up. You can also go to your smartphone, uh, type in Google Play, the Cooper Talk app, uh, the the one for the iPhone. It's the long to go coopertalk.podbean forward slash mobile whatever also uh, this Thursday I'll be at Corbin's uh, bowling alley we're talking about when he's doing comedy and every Tuesday at my friend Jimmy's place the Playa Azul I host crappy comedy we had a great show for our first week I'm getting some great acts in there it's a little dive bar but hey it's three other beers can't complain about that anyway people follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk remember I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guests don't forget drink your water take your vitamins and eat your vegetables have a wonderful wonderful weekend